You're listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, David McGuire, Sarah Ashley, and Robert Kinsler. Welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I am David McGuire. So, last episode, I felt it really wasn't complete. Now, what do you think? I don't know. You had me at hello. <laughs> I agree. I think, uh, I feel like... I feel like the topic is very broad and that it's not something that two people can take on by themselves. I agree. So to continue this topic of Ghostbusters 3, we had to bring in two specialists, two experts, really just two of our friends. But uh, <laughs> you will recognize one of them because one of them was our guest star and I think now pretty much our, our, one of our co-hosts now on Nerds on Film, Robert Kinzela. Bamf! Like Nightcrawler, he appears. And we'd like to welcome to the show, Sarah Arms. Sup, sluts. Now, Sarah, since you're new to the, to the uh, crowd, first of all, tell us a little bit about who you are to the world. Um, all right, so just a little bit about me. Um, first of all, I'm a female, which the show needs. Needs more estrogen. We agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah more bitches. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, I got my degree in English, my bachelor's degree in English, so I'm, I'm a pretty analytical person. Yeah, I and like, that means basically she now has a right to be opinionated. Oh, yeah. Very. I like dissecting <laughs> shit. I decreed the state of California. <laughs> and I like making other people listen to me. So hence why I just kind of pushed myself onto this podcast. So very true. The bruises are still there. So that brings us back to the topic then. Um, yes. We were kind of in agreement that Ghostbusters 3 was really uh, a film that doesn't need to happen. if Unless they gave us something on the script that was just mind-blowing and, and worth pursuing – but if it's just going to be them being like, hey, let's let's be fat and white and let's go catch some ghosts. Right. Then exactly. I don't think it would be worth the time. And I felt like we wanted to make sure we weren't alone in this. So please shed some light on the situation. What do you guys think of Ghostbusters 3? Well, OK, so I'm, I'm actually the one who kind of suggested this topic to you guys. I know, Brian, we were talking about it at a little shindig at my place. And. Um, I think my my major issue with this is is that it is wholly unnecessary. And what it brings up is the question, is a movie like this that's so delayed in a sequel, is it really going to carry over the same way that the first two movies did? Um, for me, the case in point being that the actual humor, the structure of humor is very different nowadays. Um, I feel like then the the writing was a little bit cleaner, a little bit sharper. It was just in general wittier, and maybe that's me being a little bit of a snob, but no, <laughs> it is. yeah, pretty much. But I feel like you know, it's it's not it's not Steve Carell on The Office. It's not deadpan. It's not um, it's not Will Ferrell doing gross out. You, know, you think basically the, the comedic taste of America's audience has changed. Absolutely. And since I feel the late 80s. And I feel like our attention span's shorter. So I feel like you could do I'm sorry, can you repeat everything you just said? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to hear me keep talking? <laughs> um, no, I so I feel like, yeah, the attention span's shorter and therefore like, you know, with, with the Ghostbusters movies, I felt like you had to pay, be a little bit more on top of everything to really catch the humor instead of it being thrown in your face. So I feel like this it'll be either so entirely different than what the first two movies were, or they're going to try and be so much like the first two movies that it's not going to translate well to the audience, and then you have another indie four situation. Right. I also feel like they may try to do too methodically, like like you're saying, to try to make it too much like it. They may go too much to bring back the elements of it. It's right. not even an indie four. It just is like, eh. 
It's almost kind of like, as much as I love the movie Superman Returns, I felt like there was some very clear... I think clear, you're the only one that did that. I'm not the only one. Shut up. <laughs> uh, as much as I like that movie, uh, they did so blatantly homage the, the Donner movies that they that it looked very clearly like this was Brian Singer trying to do a Richard Donner film. Yeah, and I think if they do do another... Um, you yes, said, I said do, do, do. do. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd catch that. But I think if they if they do try to make it look a lot like the first two, it's going to come off very much like a wink and nod, and people who are looking for a, a continuing story will be bored, and people who are new to the franchise will be bored as well because they're like, well, that's not funny at all because, as she said, you know, it's like everybody's attention spans for comedy right now is literally you have to throw in the word penis, whore, or slut, and someone goes, <laughs> whore. So that what they do really do. need is they need a horse like <laughs> do do. penis. Case in point, do do. <laughs> that, that's their villain. What? what? A they giant need, chip monster? No, I said they need a horse let ghost with the penis. A horse <laughs> I would totally go see that movie. So what you're saying is that they're going to sleep with people. That's right. So, 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 so what you're saying is changed. that. <laughs> so are you saying so that the ghost Kim is going to be Anna Nicole Smith then? Or. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Too mm. soon. The water's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Water is cold on this podcast, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, cut um, this part out. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think when I think of the eighties, like I don't, I don't remember all my favorite movies for trilogies. Like, I know, yeah, Back to the Future is like the definitive trilogy from the eighties, and maybe Indiana Jones kind of in there. But I don't think of the eighties as trilogies. I always thought like it was a really good movie. It had a part two, and that was that was it. That was the end of it. But the part two wasn't a continuation of the first one. It was just its own thing. So right. when I think about Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2, I don't, I don't see much of a story of continuation. Other than that, the business is established. They're now revered in New York City, and they can kind of go out and do their business without looking like weirdos. Like the Ecto-1 can come driving out in the streets and everybody cheers as opposed <laughs> to booing. But I don't, I don't ever feel like, oh, part two, I need to see part one to understand part two. I don't ever feel like they were rooted in each other. Right. And now we're like in this generation, if if the first one is successful, everybody automatically starts thinking about a third one. Like, oh, where can this story go by three movies in? And I think we've got two things happening. We've got super nostalgia where we want to bring everything from the 80s back. Bitchin'. And two, we're also looking at franchises where it's like, oh, we never finished the story. Which in this case, I think would be complete BS because you, there's no story to finish. But now they're looking at it going, oh, how can we bring this back? How can we wrap up the tale right. of the Ghostbusters? And-, yeah. and this goes back to the whole thing we were talking about last episode on trilogies. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in order for there to be a real trilogy, it really needs to have a, the whole overall saga right. needs to have a kind of a three-act structure right. to it. Right. Even though the, the, each act has its own self-containment to it. And Ghostbusters really does, doesn't have it at all. Like no. the, the, both movies are pretty self-contained actually. I'm still waiting on another another 48 hours. And until I get it, I don't see a reason for Ghostbusters 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eddie Murphy's probably still working at the work with his lawyers. I've heard the script is just floating around in Hollywood waiting for money. Another yeah. another 48 hours. Can they even get Nick Nolte to do that movie anymore? Some other another 48 hours. <laughs> sure they can. Three. I mean Nick Nolte could do it, but he's going to sound like completely inaudible. He's like, <laughs> man, you crazy. <laughs> man, let's go do some shit. That's what the movie is. I think is, that's Chris right? Tucker. Do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's David's cool, generic black person. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Within the span of like five minutes, we've actually said, and Nicole Smith is a horse let ghost. And uh, I have apparently a generic black voice. I'm never going to be allowed on this podcast again. <laughs> no. 
Don't no. we have an episode? Never mind. I'm going to talk <laughs> about censoring. There's actually, there's actually an ejector seat that's built into your couch right now. <laughs> Damn it. All right, so, so to reel this back in a little bit. <laughs> um, now, you, you brought up a really good point, though, about, about nostalgia, and, and that's kind of um, – and we're, we're, about to, we're about to go deep, guys. You should, you should like this. Um, so I, I feel like this is actually kind of a, a greater perspective. <laughs> that sounded so no, dirty. No, I know. I oh, know. Man. Why do you think I said it? <laughs> you make a terrible doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get my rubber gloves. We're about to go deep. Uh. <laughs> Ma'am, I'm going to go deep. No, so no, I, I think this is kind of like indicative of like a greater a greater social scheme here where um it is it is very rooted in nostalgia we want something that we know and um i think it does kind of tie back to the economic times that we're in just because if you look at hollywood first of all just wants an easy cash cow they want something that's going to make money and what makes money nowadays things that people know something that they find comforting why do we find it comforting because it reminds us of a better time there's no better time than the 80s come on guys like everybody was like super fucking rich in the 80s and doing coke like that was awesome I, I wouldn't back. know. I was born towards the end of the eighties, so I got I the mid eighties. So I, I yeah. so I mean, not like I really remember. I was four when it ended, but still. But, coke, coke <laughs> but from what I hear, back then, yeah. so the flavor was just great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Robert's take on the eighties. <laughs> my my eighties was a different time. My eighties was in Europe. We didn't have movies come out when they came out. Like they would be out in America for at least six to eight months beforehand. And then we get them on tape, you know, six to eight months later, but you'd, you'd almost get it. And the movie was told already because you saw it in magazines and you saw it like on TV or people would come over on vacation and tell you all about it. So movies like that for me were always like secondhand. I never had like theatrical openings for back to the future or ghostbusters. I don't remember ever being huge summer events for those movies where they were on TV all the time getting advertised. It was just a VHS in the local video store. So I went out and found these movies on my own and kind of fell in love with them on my own Okay. without them being a big deal. Actually, just to clarify, what part of Ireland did you grow up in? I grew up in Shannon County, Clare. Shannon County, Clare. Wow. Yes. Okay, so how many movie theaters were in that part of the country? Uh, I remember one, and it was in the next city over. Wow. Okay, yeah. so it, it, was, it was this big deal because it finally came, but yet it wasn't because you... Yeah, you, summer blockbusters didn't exist when I was a kid. That wasn't a thing. Like, you would go to the movies, but there was never, like, a big release. I'll always remember my mom coming back from a vacation in Florida with a t-shirt for Jurassic Park, and she was trying to explain to me what it was, that it was this big movie that was coming out and everybody was excited about it, but the concept fell flat on me. Like, I didn't understand what it was she was trying to say, that this was something coming, because movies, as I perceived them, just existed on the shelf in video stores. That's where oh, I saw them. Okay, there was gotcha. never there was never something that I knew Man. to look out for. You for didn't quite understand so, that like they came in theaters first and then they went on yeah, on, the, yeah. on VHS. So to digress just a little bit, so now that you you know obviously you're in the states, so now so it's like, do you wish that you kind of had that that summer blockbuster <laughs> hype build up kind of mentality as you were a kid? Because I mean now it's like everywhere you go, every summer everyone's like, oh great, the new movies that are coming out this summer. Every summer it's a letdown. Hey, maybe not uh, every summer. Okay, not maybe this not summer. every summer movie. That's just, but that's just cold. <laughs> that's just, there's no, no reason for that. This water is now ice. Hey, what did you do? There's definitely been some like overhype. What are you Come talking on. about? Transformers Two was a shit. They went to Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> there were bo- there were robot balls in that movie. Uh, <laughs> but but my point is is that like just to kind of digress is that 
you know, because like you're saying, like it just kind of they just existed for you. So yeah, this hype is that when you first like came and that started to come be a part of your life was that was that a, a feeling that you welcomely accepted or was it just sort of like, wow, this is really new territory. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, like I remember, I think the first time. I got excited about going to see a movie in theaters when I was a kid. It was probably Batman Returns. I think that was the very first time in my life where I was Good actually choice. concerned about getting to the theater on time. Yeah. Before that, I never cared yeah. about like seeing it in the movies. But right, yeah. For stuff like Ghostbusters and Back to the Future, like I must have watched those dozens of times when I was a kid. And it never wore thin. But now, being a super nerd and going to see big releases like The Avengers, I've seen four times. And I'm going to buy it on DVD when it comes out. What, Are you going to buy the big... Uh... The big probably, shield probably. Path. And the thing is, I'm probably not going to watch it. I might watch it once, and then I'm going to put it up on a DVD shelf where it's going to sit for months. Right. And build, erect a shrine to the right, right. cinematic so universe. These movies, worship it once a week. It's rare that I'll watch them more than a few times. Is that what you do on a Saturday, Brian? You know what? Leave my personal life out of this, okay? <laughs> no, nah, you brought it into the game, buddy. <laughs> it's, it's in the Coliseum now. Man. Let loose the lions. <laughs> Um, so yeah, kind of tying that back into the point, I guess with something like Ghostbusters, I've watched it dozens and dozens and dozens of times and I've never felt sick of it. Whereas movies these days, because there is so much hoopla built around them that you do kind of have to have a buffer zone. Like you see all these teaser trailers and then trailers and then the movie and I'm going out to midnight lines to try and see the movie that it's almost an exhaust, like an exhausting process to enjoy the film itself, Mm -hmm. let alone watching it. So when I think about Ghostbusters and bringing that into this day and age, I just, it's, it's like a floppy disk trying to plug it into a MacBook Air. It just doesn't fit. It, there's no space for it. It doesn't. It doesn't feel relevant. That was a beautiful metaphor. That was wonderful. That was beautiful. Oh my god! He's speaking in analogies, kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and here's an actually another point that I actually just kind of thought of. Um, so I just recently wasted money on the campaign, and you know who was actually in that movie was Dan Aykroyd. Well, and oh, um, it's him and John Lithgow, right? Yeah, yeah, and. Boy, man, that that felt that was really stale. It felt really stale to me just because the timing was just not it just didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel like it fit the movie. Well, to be really fair, though, like yeah. Ackroyd wasn't really the, the comedic hub of the movie. Exactly. Bill Murray was. He, and then he was. And he's not going to do it now. Hey, exactly. hey Harold Ramis can, can carry. Oh, it too. They, well, they yeah, all absolutely. had their moments. Don't get me wrong. But like with as we all know from from basic movie structure, you need to have one character who is really the driving force that moves the plot forward. And in both those movies, it was Venkman, you know? And if Venkman's not a part of the third movie, what is there left to do? And, like, who is the new motivator at that point? You know, Louis son, Tully. You know, is, yeah. it, is it like Baby Oscar's all grown up now and he inherited, didn't even inherit, he just got Venkman's attitude somehow? Like, what would, what would you even do with, with that, without Venkman even being there? Like, I don't think you could save it. I thought the rumor of him coming back and being a ghost in the movie, I thought that was brilliant. Like, I, I thought agreed. that was awesome. If you had him just being the smart ass ghost floating around, maybe criticizing Oscar, like what if what if Peter Venkman started caring about the Ghostbusters, but he was a ghost and he was always looking over Oscar's shoulder and saying, You're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. Gosh, in my day, this is how we hunted ghosts. And that idea I was like, I was really into it. I I'd like, watch oh, that. That'd be yeah. cool. I'd watch that. But they there's just been such a bad attitude around yeah. it from the actors themselves making, Oh, we'll do it without Murray. Oh, Murray's back in, it's just it's almost if they were to make it, I wouldn't want to see it because I would feel like all parties involved wouldn't want to be there. Yeah, and I think that, you know, and we mentioned in the last in the last week's episode, you know, they made the game, right? So they had this Ghostbuster game. Everybody had a big hype about it. It was this huge, like, and ultimately it was panned by a lot of gamers. But 
what was interesting about it was that you could tell the people like Harold Ramis was really putting it all into it, you know, and Dan Aykroyd, obviously he like put everything he had into that role. Murray, when he talked, oh my God, it's like he was on a plane from Bermuda to Florida going like, all right, yeah, let's just go. Hey kid, watch out for that ghost behind you. Was that good? That was okay. Good. Next line. If it wasn't good, I don't care. I'm Bill fucking Murray. Right. And I think that, I, I completely agree with you. I think that if it was him being a ghost, trying to mentor or like see this progression <clears throat> of his character, because, and that was the thing we kind of talked about last time too, is that, you know, what Indy 4 suffered from, to kind of pull back from that example, is that it, there was no progression of the Indy character. Yep. He was old. That was about it. Like there was yep. nothing emotionally different about him. There was nothing, you know, really astounding or really, you know, uh, uh, really memorable about his his progression. And that's what I'm afraid what will happen with this is it's just going right. to be let's place these guys in a very weird ghost environment, but nothing has changed about them. They're the same people, and it's like nobody wants to see that movie because it's like we've already right. we, we own those movies. Well, to be fair, Indy's kid didn't go to college, and I feel like that's a problem most of us can relate with mm, because okay. my kids that don't exist. The thought of them not going to college just haunts me daily. <laughs> <laughs> well, and okay, and so what? Do, what do you want to try and do here with with Ghostbusters three? Do it as a passing the torch movie. The thing is, which is what the original idea was. And the torch has been passed. This is like three generations of comedians in the future now. Move on, guys. Like that's just what it feels like, and it really sucks because, as like a fan, I mean, of course, a little bit of novelty on like one of my favorite franchises would be totally rad, but. The fans are wrong. <laughs> We're just wrong. <laughs> and yeah. nerdotomy is no longer. So, thanks, Sarah. Every you single hand you took us down. We're disappointed. Yeah, it's true. And I think part of it comes down to just the idea is based off of a fan base who maybe doesn't quite understand how to how movies work. Yep. And not not and that's not to disrespect them at all because clearly they understand the difference between a good and a bad movie. But they don't understand all the effort and the structure that goes into making a movie. Do you hear that, audience? Brian Moriarty thinks that you guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to have to agree with Brian on this. I think that, you know, there's I think there's been a lot of movies that were made just for fans because they're like, we want to see it again. And I, you guys can jump in because right now I'm not really pulling one from my mind. But like there have been countless movies that were made just for the fans. And guess what? They were just for the fans. Like they will not like if we had to like if we go thousands of years into the future and aliens come back to the world and they're going to pick top five movies, you know, that they want to now show the new world or whatever the case may be. Those fan favorites will not be in that list. Those fan favorites are now some aliens like toilet paper. Mm. They're going to wipe some aliens. Butthole. Wait, they wipe their asses with DVDs. Well, in the future, we went back to paper. I suppose <laughs> that you can, like, kind of scrape at it. I'm just not going there. Oh, wow. Uh, God, we, uh, we've gone from film to scatology already. And we're so, only in episode I'm sorry. Three. I had God. that effect on people. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think I mean, like, think look at it this way. Like, Expendables and Expendables 2. Oh, Jesus. Completely oh, totally. fan-based you know, movies. I will still see it. Of course. I hated yeah. the first one. Why would I, I even just, bother? Because it has too. every action oh, movie star from yeah. the quick, past quick, 30 years in this movie. Quick digression. Two. I saw, I Is it worth two. it? You saw two? Yeah. It, it, yes. Go see it. Really? I, what should we expect? If we go in there <laughs> expecting just a lot of kill sauce, are we going to be happy? Is Schwarzenegger even worth seeing it? Here's what I'll say. <laughs> it, it's worth seeing the whole thing. If, if the last 35 minutes of that movie was a funny or die exclusive, 
it would be the greatest thing the internet has ever seen. Oh, oh damn. Really? Yeah. So in other words, we should like go have about two or three beers before going to watch the movie. Yeah, actually, you know what? You know, there's the, there's always the, you saw Expendables 1, there's the big fight. Like each character has a fight. Like Stallone fought Steve Austin in the first one. So obviously in the second one, it's, it's going to come down to Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that. No, they showed that in the trailer. You're the fine. First, the, first, the first couple of seconds of that fight, outside of everything else, I actually sat back and went, wow, this is actually brutally violent. Like the way they're actually fighting, this is really good action. Just for those, th- at least those two seconds. Everything else, you can, you can figure out how you feel about it. Um, so I do have to ask, in this movie, are there countless guys running up and down a hallway, pulling out bombs from God knows where and just attaching them to the walls? Oh yeah, the ammo in this movie, like I don't know where the clips are hidden. <laughs> These men are in the middle of nowhere, some, some Eastern European location, and they have no shortage of ammunition. Like that little plane they're flying around and has everything you could possibly need to take over a country. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, see, okay, now you're actually selling me on it because when I saw the first one, I think I went in expecting something along the lines of Shoot 'em Up, which is my mm-hmm. favorite action movie. And so I was sorely disappointed. You know, th- I actually think we're touching on something, though, with The Expendables. I think The Expendables is a really good template for want and need and execution. Because for me, like... I totally thought about that throughout the 90s. What if Stallone and like Arnold did a movie together? That'd be the greatest movie ever. What if Bruce Willis showed up in the sequel? And then you finally get it. You finally get the Expendables. And granted, the budget isn't really there. And, you know, the script probably wasn't there entirely. But when you finally get it and you finally see it all together, there's just something about going, wow, like I really thought mashed potatoes and chocolate would go well together. And sure, it tastes good, but I don't feel good on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's kind of like I'm looking I'm looking at Ghostbusters thinking dude rumors of Bill Hader as like a future up and coming Ghostbuster like I think that's brilliant like all, I was thinking of all these young character actor, like, actors that maybe I don't love them too much but like Bill Hader and Jonah Hill and like all these actors in there I'm like yeah that could actually be really good if you had like two generations coming together for super comedy but well, that potatoes begs, and chocolate. That begs the question: Would they ever do a reboot of Ghostbusters? Of course they would. Yeah, and then oh, they would just Jesus recast. Christ. I think. I think at this point, if I think, brains. I think that there's been so much talk about it by now that if a sequel does not get produced and made, then someone's going to be like, "Well, fuck it. Why don't we just do a new one?" Like, I mean, don't you remember when they had that? Um, they had a Ghostbusters cartoon that came out that was Extreme Ghostbusters. And I remember there was talks of them making a movie out of that. Yeah. So it's like they have the platform and they could build off of it. I mean, all it takes is just somebody to be like, look, you guys want to do a Ghostbuster movie? Like the fans are clamoring for it and these guys don't want to do it anymore. We'll find four new actors that are going to do it. We'll put them in a sim- similar situation. And, you know, we'll just we'll just reboot the shit out of it. I swear to God, nothing is sacred. I mean, well, I'm OK. They're even doing a Bill and Ted three for God's sake. OK, time out. That's fantastic. Oh my god! No, we've actually Why? talked with well, we we've heard him talk. The guy who wrote the Bill and Ted movies is he is Ed Solomon involved with this at all? Do we know? I don't know. I'm Who, not uh, sure. Ed Solomon's the original writer of both Bill and Ted. And I believe I'm not that sure. we need somebody to look cast. it up. Let's uh, let's have you get on that for a second. Okay, someone to get on that. Robert, could you? All right. Um, because I think we're at an era where really Hollywood is running out of original ideas and i think the most original movie that's out right now and i haven't seen it but i'm going to plug it because just based off of its premise is jess and celeste together forever it's andy sandberg and oh, Shonda jones yeah yeah Rashida, Rashida, Rashida jones i apologize um who are playing a couple who are divorced but they're still best friends and they're divorcing yeah. and yeah. so it, it's like things like that those are the good ideas 
And even those are starting to kind of creep into this mainstream area, which before everyone was like, sellouts, how could you guys do that? But now it's like, we kind of need you to because Hollywood is now running off of very, very, like we had a movie called The Watch where four guys had to stop a small town invasion in a Costco. That's the thing is like, we're, we're, we're really like just yeah. skimming the bottom. Well, of the I think now. there's a lot of unoriginal ideas, but there's also kind of a, the unspoken rule is if you can't make a sequel, let's try a reboot basically. And that's becoming more and more of the MO of the studios, I think. What did we find on uh, his name Trek? shows up as being a writer for the third script? So apparently the is script he? is done. He wrote it. Ah. Oh, well, well, see, okay, but then, but then, right. okay, again, a same thing about whether it's it's appropriate for now. Not at all. It's no. like twenty years. And that's according to the internet. According, yeah, the is internet. That on the internet is a no. Uh, that's uh, first result source. in Google enemy.com. Google said it. it. Must be true. But no, but, okay. But here's the thing, though. Like Bill. <laughs> um, well, with Bill and Ted, though, I mean, there there were stoner surfer dudes, right? Like to be fair, Keanu Reeves still is. Well, yeah, sure. But and, and, then, and how much and how much work is Keanu Reeves getting nowadays? Like, I mean, really? Because again, because hey, hey, he made a crap load of money off of the movies. Hey, 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 hey. He'll be fine. Yeah. People, people. Oh, no, no, he'll be. The fine. Lake House is a very underrated movie. No, actually. I will agree with that. He actually was pretty good in that movie. I was he was completely. joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? You were joking? Yeah. I was actually was serious, but okay. Like, really? They're going to do this? They're going to have Dr. Silence? I want to point out that the one female in the room has actually not seen Lake House. So... Okay, so you <laughs> know what? I saw it on TV. It, okay. It was an interesting premise. You I'll know what? With that. I'm going to say this about this, and, oh, then, and then, then we'll just move on. He's going okay. to defend it. Okay, go, go, go. go okay, go. no, I'm just going to say this. But we is digress. Keanu Reeves a good actor overall? No. no. Does he have moments? Absolutely. Sure. And he had a couple of really good moments in that movie. And I was That's... like, oh, he can act. Oh, okay. I really like Keanu okay. Reeves. Actually, I will say. You like Keanu Reeves? I, yeah, he's one of those actors that like, I feel like I always know how he's going to play it. Because he's like the past, like what, eight years he's done, <laughs> you know, he had Constantine, he had Matrix. He had these very kind of dark characters that had a lot of weight on their shoulder. So you kind of know how he's going to play it. So I don't know. I I enjoy that. I enjoy having a constant Keanu. And then when I go back and watch Point Break, I'm just like, oh, this guy's got it. Point Break, oh, that final showdown with him and Patrick Swayze, I don't care what anybody says. I, that uh, is cinema. That is cinema. <laughs> I have right to there. say, my favorite Keanu Reeves movie is Speed. Always has been. Movie. Always will it's a be. a good movie. And the reason why is because the scene when he's on the bus and there's that guy who thinks he's there for him and he like pulls the gun and he's like, hey, man, look, I'm not a cop right now. And you're and you're just a guy on a bus. We're just two dudes just riding the bus together. <laughs> that is gold. Did, I, did, did you guys not like Constantine? Constantine was great, actually. That's that's a that's like one comic book movie that I didn't nerd rage about because he looked absolutely nothing like the main character from the comic book. The yeah. main character is based on Sting, but we got Keanu Reeves. Wait, Sting is in the singer Sting? Yeah, the, the, in yeah, the in the comic books for Constantine. Yeah. Hell, hell, uh, Hellblazer. Hellblazer, yeah. Hellblazer. I hope God, yeah, don't help. So in the comics, it's when he kills off all these demons. Does he sing Fields of Gold? Only when it's a six-headed demon. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, okay. So see what he does to sing Roxanne. (laughs) 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 But then the okay. So but the point being is that I Bill and Ted was such like it was actually showing like a a legit culture, a a teenage culture of Mm. the times. That culture doesn't exist. Well, and maybe that's the premise. No, the premise is something about them not being able to write, like, the world, like, the, the epic song that, that Wild Stallion needs to write yeah. in order to save the I'm world. I'm sorry, time out. Wasn't that the premise of Tenacious D's movie? 
Like them trying to like write the most epic of songs. No, they, right, they, no, they ended up yeah. doing that to ward off a demon. Yeah. Basically, yeah. the song Tribute, the song is they have the, called Tribute the in their first album, is basically the movie. Is, is That's the plot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, but no, so Wild Stallion, like if you saw like in the, the first movie, The Excellent Adventure, um, they like went to the future and then like they were, you know, worshipped as, as gods because they wrote like this totally epic song. And it changed the world. And apparently. it changed the world. And now here it is. It's 20 years later since they're bogus journey and they, yeah i i love these movies i still see death Rides <laughs> on the cover of that that vhs right yeah oh. they should get hit i don't know what that actor's name is but they need to bring him back for this one yeah bring death back yeah bring, and station while they're at yep bring station and know it and so the thing is yeah they haven't written they haven't written the song yet and so now they're they have to yeah that's you know the you know what's weird though like we have all these movies from the 80s and like they're they're Bill and Ted's like 90s, but they're great movies and we have very fond memories of them. But a lot of them have kind of been retold in different ways and different mediums. That story has kind of, you know, the two lazy slackers who saved the world or saved the day, whatever it's been. That That's not like a very unique story. But Ghostbusters, we have scary movies and ghosts all the time, but the concept of people that like trap ghosts in that manner hasn't been retread very often, Yeah, which I find funny. Like, could you imagine like a... if what if they did like a rated R, like scary movie found footage based on people that did like ghost hunting and had like electronic equipment to capture ghosts. That's a cool idea. That could look really cool. Yeah, like a paranormal if, activity if, version of Ghostbusters. If somebody's going to hear this and get that idea and I'm going to be sitting in a theater in six months. Well, then we'll edit this part out and we'll just write it together. It's to- <laughs> this episode one is now month, copyrighted. One month from now, that's going to be on sci-fi. We have Final Cut. We can make this happen. <laughs> I mean, oh, we if do. They're, if, oh. They're, if they're spitting out paranormal activity movies, like... I saw a trailer for the the other day for like a fifth one or a fourth, a fourth one. one. Yeah, yeah. Really? God. Yeah, they're making a fourth one now. It's like the little kid from the second one is at the. Yep. Ha- I I don't know. So but speaking the, of but nostalgia. this one includes webcams too. Oh. Speaking of nostalgia, right? Horror movies from the eighties. They all went into the sevens, eights, nines, tens, and we got Saw. That was our generation's Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Saw had something like seven or eight sequels. There was seven, and the yeah. seventh one was in three D. Yeah, which and that was the. That was acrimoniously the last no, one, right? No, 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 no. I heard somewhere that they're making an eighth. Son of a bitch. Brian, God, what are you kidding? Brian, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's like that in Final Destination, right? You do these movies where originally, like, the first mo- the first of the series was actually a decent concept. First Final Destination, yeah. not bad. Not a bad concept. Good job, Devin Sawa. Anything time. with Devin Sawa and it's good by me. Idle yeah. Hands. Oh, yeah. That's a movie. damn good movie. That was a great idea. You know, and then Saw, yeah. the My original Saw... Was a really gritty Even horror Idle. crime movie, <laughs> you know. But now it's one of these things where it's like they're just going to perpetuate it because it makes some money. And plus, I'm sorry, but I would have a shit ton of fun to sit there and be like, "How can I kill off this one person? What if I have a pig fucking oh. them while an entire laser like cuts them in half?" But in order to stop it, that, I, dude, <laughs> I have never seen a Final Destination movie. What? But I am pretty sure. That horrible stuff you just described does not go down. Whoa. That is like Saw and you should, have, you should have, for those, I'm just going to play back and, and illustrate in words Robert's look on his face. It went from kind of like quiet, paying attention to all of a sudden deer in headlights. <laughs> I got to bamf out of here. This is getting crazy. This is getting crazy. Okay, so, well, okay, so final verdict. I think we're all kind of in agreement, right? Ghostbusters three should not happen. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, I don't. I don't not want it to happen. 
because I'm like an elitist nerd who thinks it can't be done. Because I got excited when I when I first read the article, like Bill Hader rumored rumored for it. I really like Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live. I think he's really funny and I Agreed. like his delivery. And I got really excited. I'm like, oh, what if this could be cool? Like eight great comedians in a room together. But the more I think about it, I'm just like, no, I'd rather just let the sleeping dog lay. Like, I love Ghostbusters one and two. Um, I never had any fault with two when I was a kid. I just I can watch them a million times over, and I would rather just have that experience not potentially soiled by a lesser third one that didn't need to happen. Right. That, we don't that's want any, exactly where I... Right. That's exactly we don't want another Indiana Jones in our hands. Yeah. Like, one franchise is ruined enough. I, I, yeah. Like, I live, I live by that law. Like, you can't have Star Wars and not have the prequels. And I'm sorry for everyone who, who is frustrated by those movies, but that's, that's the law of the land. One, two, and three have happened, and they will exist in book form and comic book form for the rest of eternity. And... My son of a bitch. Right. If For all those people that are disappointed now, would you have rather never had the mythical return of George Lucas in those movies. Would you have rather just had episode four, five, and six and never had the story told and just had that fantasy in your head of what it could have been? Yes. Or would you rather live with one, two, and three now as it is? And that is the definitive law yeah. for all cartoons and comic books and I toys would, that come out. I, I have a hard time disagreeing. I would have rather had the stories told and disagree with how they were told, but not necessarily yes. disagree with the stories themselves than to have not had them. And let, have us left wondering what what was Lucas's because everyone knew he had a vision in mind, right? And we, we have just never seen it. It would have become in like some diary years after he was left. You know the opening of episode three though, the battle over Coruscant. That to me is one of the coolest things I've seen done with special effects in a sci-fi movie. That looks incredible. So I like I could pick on movies and I could say that I love them or I hate them, but. I had to get one and two to get those five minutes of episode three and to get the Obi-Wan Darth Vader fight. I was not disappointed. That was a great fight. Obi-Wan Darth Vader was good. And actually, yeah. you know, some people will, will I'll take shit for this. I actually thought the Yoda and, and Palpatine fight was pretty, oh. was pretty awesome too. I thought yeah. when I saw the trailer, I thought he was going to do a Hadouken, but it was just him catching the lightning. But the yeah. thought of Yoda doing a Hadouken. But the fact that, the fact that Yoda can catch force lightning yeah. and even from Palpatine, he could just, that just was fucking amazing. To, to piggyback on what you said, I, I agree. I think that we, as much as everyone despises the first two, Three, if you look at Revenge of the Sith, like that is the best of that trilogy because that is where it really got this really dark stride, and that was great to yep. watch the, this supposed Jedi, right? This person who's supposed to be pure, like go down the path of the dark. It like was just so cool. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, a bunch of little Jedi's had to die, but um, you know, the, what's funny about that though is the third one out of those three movies. That's the one that everyone had a preconceived notion in their head of what would happen in those movies. Mm -hmm. Everyone knew that if they were ever going to do the prequels, it would come down between Obi and Darth. Darth would have to take a dark, a dark path. So when you see the third movie, in a way, you're already comfortable with it because yeah. you, you've been yeah. expecting it for 30 years. So that being said, what about Ghostbusters 3? What comfort could you have? What story could they possibly tell? Would it just be an episode one or two where you didn't know what was yeah. going to happen and then it comes out and you're like, oh, what is this? Well, there's no collective consensus about what the third story should be. You know, right. we've all speculated it's about a new generation, but we don't know that at all. You well, know? And, and if you can't figure out what the, what the story is going to be just by kind of even, you know, having people sit on it and think about it and ha it actually already going through script rewrites several times over and people taking right. stabs at it. Then don't. There's no story to be told. Let it go. Exactly. Um, and I think this is a topic we will continue to touch back on. And please, for those listening, uh, tell us what you think on the Twitterverse. We really do want to hear your opinion and see if we, I would love to hear a, a solid defense for the movie. You know, um, prove us wrong, please. We want to be proven wrong. 
Uh, not really, but we we we, we, would, we would like to we would like to hear what you have to say. But We're going to take your idea and make it sound like ours. So thank if, you. If Bill Murray changed his mind tomorrow and said he was on board, would your opinions differ? No, not until I saw it. Okay. No. I yeah, I would have to see. You know, I, I'd be I very did, apprehensive. I I did say that you need to have Venkman, and um, if they had Ivan Reitman involved again too, I would be I would be curious, but I, I and I would definitely see it just to see what. It would be like, but I don't think it would be necessary at all. So speaking of unnecessary sequels, I think this is a really good time to segue in because um, we, as being nerds on film, would like to come to the aid of a fallen friend. Um, This friend is under a lot of scrutiny. He may have done some things, said some things that were against what other people thought that he would do or say. And we feel like that we need to come to the aid of our good friend, Batman. Brian? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I set you up. What the fuck? Okay, so there's been a lot of mixed reviews about The Dark Knight Rises. And most of the critics liked it. Most of the fans loved it. But there's a really solid minority of people who just flat out hated the movie. And uh, the, I think the biggest one of them is Harry Knowles from com talking about how it was a waste of $200 million. Uh, and Wow. Yeah, like he was severely disappointed. And, you, you know, have you read his review? I didn't. I didn't. Oh, man. No, no. It's he, scathing it, from yeah. the beginning to the end. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Wow. And, he, uh, and <clears throat> um, spoiler alert, please, if you haven't seen the movie. Oh, fuck it. All, if you haven't seen it by now, go away. Yeah. Um, come back for the other episodes. We love you. Yeah, just check in with us in episode four. So, um, Except you guys might bring it up at that point, too. Well, you know, your homework people who are listening, watch the movie, (laughs) listen at your own risk. Then I think there are like three main main points and they all kind of stem from that. They are that no one diverted too far from the comics, which is in and of itself a flawed argument, because if they had changed it in the comic books, they wouldn't be complaining. But because it was done on film, because the medium is different, all of a sudden it's something to raise, raise a fire. about. never mind the fact that DC Comics produced the movie. Uh, and like approved, you know, all the, the major elements of the film. So, um, this one to me has more ties to comics than the other movies. Like yeah. the other movies, I can only think of one or two sources for the material. This movie, I thought of like six off the top of my head or yeah. maybe five. I don't know. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Well, let me, let me bring up a couple of the, the major points. Knowles had three big ones, which was that Batman doesn't quit. Alfred would never leave Batman. And... Uh, Bane. Bane wasn't running the show. Mm. And that Bane was basically, again, just another glorified henchman. Yet again. Can we so, work backwards from three to one? Sure, please. a lot please. of head, head shaking going on when you read off that list, Brian. Yeah. It was. Uh, <sighs> I, I, I know. I, here's the thing. Okay, let's work backwards. So Bane is a henchman. Okay, yes. He was not the ultimate mastermind behind it. There was Tali Al Ghul who was pulling the strings. That being said, he caused the most damage than yeah. she did. I mean, granted, we saw her be like, this was my plan, this was my father's plan. But Bane was the one that everyone feared. Bane was the one that everybody, yeah. you know, was much like the Joker, but not to the extent of the Joker's gravitas. Because like with the, with the Joker's gravitas, you know, I remember walking out of the second movie going like, if I ever met that person in real life, I would, I would, I don't know what I would do. I would be petrified. Bane, in his own right, has that that same demeanor about him. Yeah, and I think 
to to make a good point, you bring up an excellent point, and even so, because Talia al Ghul is the nefarious villain that you don't see to the end. Really, what he is is he is a Darth Vader to a Palpatine to bring it back to Star Wars because he's like the the, the doer. He's the one that most people most fear. Hmm. And then you find out. And then you in the third act you find out who's really in charge. You know. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I the whole Talia twist. I never once perceived that that meant that Bane was just an idiot with muscles that was defending her. Like, I still interpreted that he was a big player that crafted the plan. Like he was maybe, just the front man. Maybe it was Talia's idea, but he was the one that almost nuked a city out of love for somebody. So that, to me, makes his character that much deeper and more meaningful. I, so many people perceive it like, oh, he's just a big, dumb muscle guy yeah. that was standing there. He was he was the, the sleight of hand, so to speak, for Talia's master plan. But there was nothing in that movie, to borrow a word, indicative that Talia hey, was actually dick. running the show. She wanted her revenge, but it doesn't mean she crafted the plan. And it doesn't mean she acted on the plan. Yeah, yeah I agree. Okay. All right, fair enough. Um, one, another side argument is that they basically they took Bane's origin and they totally just threw it out the window. And well, because they get by giving it to Talia, basically. Because the origin actually was correct yeah. until you find out it was Talia in the prison instead of Bane being in the prison. Right. Well, well technically, Bane was in the prison. I mean, he's the one that helped get her out. Yeah. So if you want to like split hairs here, there's there's that part. I could be I could be stretching it, but you don't know how long Bane was in that prison. Maybe Bane was born in that prison, and maybe that's why he protected her because he knew what it was like. You, you don't know these things, right? People are just assuming that because her origin was similar to Bane, that it meant that Bane's never existed. But we don't know. All that we know of him, the furthest back we know, is that he existed in that prison and he tried to save the child. Okay. All right. So then let's let's go back. I. I, I agree with your points because we're really just trying to def- def- we're, we're defending our friend here. So yeah. uh, I you got Brian. your back, Bruce. <laughs> I love you so much. I, I love you too, Batman. <laughs> Don't leave me. Don't so let's leave let's go number two. Leave Batman alone. <laughs> <laughs> let's okay. So let's get to number point number two. Yeah. Alfred would never leave Bruce. He needed to. For the plot, he needed to. He and needed plus, to. if he hadn't, I'm going to reference Kevin Smith here because he mentioned it in his episode. A Fat Man on Batman. Which you guys should check out. It's uh, located on iTunes. It's a very good podcast. It's amazing. And Kevin, please, if you're out there listening please to this. Please us out. Thank please, you. Thank Second you. of all, uh, hit me up on Twitter. So um, anyway. Yeah, please. Brian jerks off to your picture every night. <laughs> <laughs> Brian. <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> okay. So the point I'm going to get at is that if Alfred hadn't left, mm-hmm. Bane would have killed him easily would have killed him to get to Bruce. Well, I think I think the argument here is that, you know, through thick and thin, Alfred has never once left Bruce Wayne's side. And it doesn't it's not he doesn't still care about him. He right. Did. But that was the reason why he left. Exactly. Was because he cared about him. Because he because he didn't want to see Bruce. And this ties into the first one, right? He didn't want to see Bruce kill himself, basically, because this job was killing him slowly. Because he wanted to clean up the city, and they got that out of Harvey Dent. Yeah. You know? And, right, I mean, that was the whole purpose yeah. of the, this film, is that because of Batman taking the rap, and because of Batman needing to kind of, you know, go off into the shadows, Harvey Dent was the White Knight, they used his his image to be the face that fought right. crime. And so for Alfred, that was enough. And that was the whole point. Like, if you look back at Batman Begins, the entire premise is that, you know, Bruce kind of goes under that notion of, well, I can do this until I know that things are fine. Once Harvey Dent died and that whole thing happened, Gotham was fine. 
Like even Joseph Gordon Levitt says, like if you guys keep doing this, we're gonna have to trace, yeah. tra- you know, chase down uh, overdue library books. I mean, that was the that was the whole point. To switch to Devil's Advocate for a second, though, there is Bastard. the one line. There is the one line in the Dark Knight that Rachel says, which is that I'm not sure if you're gonna stop needing Batman. While the the city might not need Batman anymore, right. I'm not sure you're gonna stop needing Batman. And yet, that was kind of ignored after, you know. Right. I wouldn't say it was ignored because he still he was waiting. He was waiting. Think about it. The cave. The cave wasn't completed until after the in the second movie, and yet the third movie it's completed. It's and it's been in use. Why has it been in use? Right, because he was been waiting for the. Here's right the moment. thing: is that everyone thinks, and I think this is the problem with 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 people who are fans of the comics, and I, and I mean no disrespect, because I get that you want to make sure that this this person that you've been following in the paper has been, you know, is being held up to its truest sense. However. This is a different interpretation of the story. Right. This is how Nolan <clears throat> sees Gotham. This is how Nolan sees Batman's character. And for him, what makes Batman far more complex is that he was so, so in love with Rachel Dawes that when she left, he didn't know what he didn't know what to do with himself because he was under the yeah. impression right. that she was going to to be with him, and he lost yeah. the love of his life. And I think that's the big problem that fans have too is that they're saying. Batman would never let a woman get in the way of him. And she mission. was the last tie to his childhood, though. Yeah, that, that was, I know. She I was, agree. She was yeah. the one constant yeah. in his life. Absolutely, um, and I agree with you guys that Nolan was basically. I think he was his way of saying, "I need to tell the entire Batman story, my version of Batman, and I, I need to not be weighed down by continuity from the comic books." Well, people call it the Nolan verse. It's exactly. commonly referred to as the Nolan verse. So that right there should cut all chains to any comics that he has free license and he proved himself in Batman Begins people worshipped him like worshipped him by the time Dark Knight came out yeah so he had license to do whatever he wanted in the Dark Knight Rises as long as we got a third film and you know even though that they took a lot of licenses and I will admit they took a lot of license with a lot of the characters particularly John Blake basically being a Tim Drake who became a cop um no because didn't Tim didn't his father didn't he find out who Batman was and didn't his father die from a gambling debt Oh yeah, yeah. Well, isn't he, he's kind of an amalgamation? Yeah, he's definitely an, he's amalgam definitely of, an amalgamation of the of the Robins. People. Yeah, I no, I I agree. So, <laughs> at not one point in that movie did I feel like those characters, even though there was a lot of license that was taken, at not one point did I feel like we lost the spirit of those characters. No, no. I think even though there was license taken, I still saw the essence of Bane, of Batman, of Ra's al Ghul, of the Joker, right. of any of it, in any of those movies, particularly in The Dark Knight Rises. You know. We've been saying that, well, it's not like the comic books. It's the Nolan's interpretation of the comic books. But then I said, well, then, but yet the Avengers was almost exactly directly adapted from the comic books, and it was perfect. So why even try the diverting from the source material? The biggest, the biggest change is that the comic books, and I, I've steered away from a lot of DC stuff in, in past months. I won't get into why, but those are about Batman. And Bruce Wayne is a complement to those stories. Every once in a while, you get a scene of Bruce Wayne He's dating somebody else or he's going through some kind of uh, corporation struggle with Wayne Enterprises. But it's always about Batman. That's why people read those comic books. From day one, these movies were about Bruce Wayne. Always, always, always about Bruce Wayne. And that's where you get licensed to do something like the idea of, wow, this guy doesn't want to do this forever. And he wants to break away from it. Or how could somebody become addicted to that power and, and push through wanting to do that well into their 40s when their body can't do it anymore? There's a lot more interesting stuff there with a person living with something like Batman in their lives than 
this mythical figure in a comic book who can go out, get his face smashed in, and then by the next issue, he's ready to go again and again and again and again over 50 years. I'm going to even, I'm going to galvanize this a little bit more. I'm going to make a statement to the the naysayers out there. Either you have to accept all three of the Dark Knight trilogy or none of them. Oh, snap. So if you can't like the Dark Knight Rises, you you cannot cannot claim to like the Dark Knight or Batman Begins because they are really all three parts of the same story. Well, Dark Knight Rises on its own, if the other two movies didn't exist, is still an incredible Batman film and is a lot better than some other comic book movies that come out. So, I don't know. I have a hard time. Is it my favorite of the three? It's probably not in the number one slot. But is it a great ending? Yeah, 100%. That's that's what I imagined in my head, in the back of my head, Bruce Wayne doing years later, is, is quitting or dying in the mask. I, I guess I didn't imagine him getting nuked, but... Still, you know, that's, I, I imagine it ending one of two ways. Bruce Wayne leaving Gotham City or Bruce Wayne dying. And you got both. And I got both. <laughs> exactly. So, Sarah? I, I just think it, from from somebody who has never really been that into Batman, aside from, like, the animated series when I was a kid, like, I just felt like these movies definitely had much more of a of a truly human element. And I feel like this one, this last one, really touched upon that more. Because, I mean, as much as we would love to have um, have Batman be just, like, this completely imp- impervious superhero or whatever, that's, that's what we have Superman for. Like, this, this guy, he's, he's just rich and with a vengeance, you know? <laughs> like, and so I feel like it, it yeah, he's, he's allowed to quit. He's allowed to, to, to take a breather, you know, while he's mourning the loss because he's... He is human, and I felt like it, I felt it was something more relatable, which is something that I feel like audiences probably be really drawn to. And I mean, was anyone really surprised? Because this was kind of touched upon in the second film, when he talks to again <clears throat> to bring up Brian's point of, you know, him and Rachel had that conversation where, you know, he basically says like, "I don't want to do this forever." Like, is anyone really surprised that like, you know, in this third one, he's kind of starting to become an embodiment of that statement? I mean. It's not like all of a sudden in the second one, he's like, I'm going to do this forever. And in the third one, he's like, I quit because it's too hard. Like, that's never once happened. It was never alluded to. Like, this entire trilogy has been him wanting to do one thing and one thing only. And that is to clean the streets of Gotham. And then once they did it, he was like, they don't need me anymore. I can walk away and it's done. So I think that, you know, for all the naysayers that are out there, and I'm sure we're probably going to get blasted on, on Twitter for this, but I think, you know, your opinion is valid, but here it's not. So thank you very much. <laughs> it's a hell of a way to end it. <laughs> okay, what I mean to say is that we get that you're upset, but unfortunately it's not the comic book. So as Brian said, you take it all or you don't. And there's no, there's no in the middle. There's yeah. nothing. And the only reason I say that is because if you go back and watch the first and second movies again, you realize how complete the story is, how well the two, all three movies tie into one another. So um, there you have it. We'd love to hear your opinion. You can follow us on Twitter at Nerdonomy and on our website at Nerdonomy.com. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I'm David McGuire. We'd like to thank our new co-hosts, Sarah and Robert, for joining us tonight. We look forward to having them helping us out in the future. Guys... Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, we'll catch you at the Snack Shack getting fat. Batman do good? Yes. Batman do very good.